Join us each week as Andrew, Ray, and others bring us in on one of their weekly phone conversations with an amazing agent. This is Little Oak Weekly. Okay. Hello to everybody in Remax Little Oak land. Hope wherever you're listening to this, you're doing well and enjoying the beautiful spring weather we have. Today, my guest is Paul Penner. Paul has been a Remax Little Oak agent for quite some time. I don't know exactly how long. I'm sure uh, that's one of the things that will come up in our conversation. But in addition to being a very successful uh, real estate agent, Within our company for many years, Paul is a past president of the Fraser Valley Real Estate Board. He has served uh, in other capacities with the board, uh, including but not limited to uh, teaching. He has been involved in uh, the PDP program, and he's an instructor. And if you've not had the chance to uh, be in a class with Paul, I highly recommend it because he's definitely one of the more entertaining and interesting instructors that we have in the PDP program. Paul's affiliation with the board and the fact that he's been a past president is definitely the reason why I have him with us today. I will maybe uh, get him on the line and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into it. But I do, the, the purpose of, of today's podcast is to discuss the functionality and the way our Fraser Valley Real Estate Board works. Um, and I will talk maybe more with Paul as to why I wanted to do this. So let's Get him on the line without any further ado. Good morning, Paul Penner. Hey, good morning, Paul. Andrew here. Andrew, hey. I have got you and you are live and uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to do this. Thanks for being willing. No problem. Uh, I hope CRA isn't listening. No personal questions that way. <laughs> we, will, we will definitely walk in the gray, but I will not take you into the black zone. You can trust me on that. <laughs> Promises, promises. Let me set this up a little bit. I, I know that you're a little bit prepared, but I'll set this up for the listener and I'll give a little bit of context, that, context as to why I wanted to do this. So 18 years, I've been a licensed agent and I would say that I would put myself in the class of the, what would it be, the least involved or very little engaged uh, with the functionality of our board. I could probably count on one hand how many times I've actually voted for something or somebody. And then having come through this past, you know, year and a half of COVID and change and everything we've been through, I've certainly had my eyes opened and I've woken up to the fact that, you know, the people that we have at our board, both elected and in paid positions, were very, very important to us uh, in the last period of time. Then we went through our AGM recently, which was a virtual AGM. And the thing that stuck out to me the most is that we've got a membership of 38 or 3,900. And I think at times we peaked around 600 people at the AGM, but there was other times in the AGM where we dipped well below 500. I just looked at that and I said, you know what? This is worth a conversation. I'm not quite sure what's going on. I'm also not the person to be able to speak to it because of my involvement over the last 18 years but I think something needs to change. So you are in the hot seat and I have a lot of things that I want to fire at you and discuss. Does that all make sense? Makes sense to me. Fire away. So let's give a little bit of backdrop then for our listeners. I did a little intro previous to calling you, but I don't have all the specifics. You've been the president. Uh, What year was that? 2009, if I remember right. Okay. And so 2009, you're president, but then You've probably done some things in addition to that. I know you've done a number of, uh, I know you teach and you still teach. Any other boards or committees or anything like that you sat on with the board? Uh, I guess at the board, I served on various committees over the years, uh, government relations, business practices, a bunch of other ones. I was a director for, I don't know, five or seven years before I became president, something like that. Did a tour of duty at BCREA as a director. So, yeah, I've been in most corners other than the federal end of it with organized real estate. So I put in some time. Okay, so you and I are obviously, we've got opposite stories. Uh, how, and how long <laughs> have you been a licensed realtor? 
30 plus years. I started when I was 19 years old. Wow. Uh, took a couple of years off when I owned my own business and uh, then was bought out and traveled the world for a while as a backpacker and then decided time to get back in. So yeah, 30 plus years. And with Little Oak, as long as I've been here, so how long is your tenure at Little Oak? Just got my 20-year Remax pin, so there you go. Okay, perfect. So probably 2001, something like that. Yeah, it was when uh, I found out while I was on holidays that they shut down the office I was working at. <laughs> That's amazing. Which office did you come from? Uh, that was uh, Prudential, which was formerly known as uh, Clearbrook Realty. Okay, you were part of the Clearbrook Realty gang. Okay, got it. Part of the mass exodus, yeah. Got it. Okay, okay. So there's probably lots to talk about there, but that's not why I have you here today. So <laughs> we'll maybe do it. Maybe do an episode two. Uh, Paul Paul Penner gets gets off the record. Okay, so you're you're a touring. You use the word tour of duty. You've been on at every level. You've sat on a number of boards and committees. What drives that desire? Well, I I guess I first got into it, and I wish I could give credit to the specific person that gave me that encouragement. But uh, someone told me, you know what, you're a young guy in the business. One of the best ways to get to know what's going on in the industry and build some connections is go volunteer at the board. Um, Spend some time on some of the committees, get to know some of the people involved. Uh, Won't hurt your credibility either if you can say you're serving on a committee. I guess that combined with this um, not being able to keep my mouth shut when I don't like how things are done, um, (laughs) I've I've also tried to live by the adage of if you're going to bitch about it, you better be able to put some time in and try and improve it. So so I, I try to live by that as best I can as well. Very good. So can you give me and everybody listening the you don't got to get too fine point here but i actually think this will be beneficial for the the rest of the conversation we've got there's a lot of different things going out of the board you've got our elected directors but then we've got a bunch of paid positions like cfo ceo ops manager can you talk about we we know that how the how the directors get elected, but how do all these other people get hired, and what is the board of directors' function in the hiring and firing and appointing of those very important positions? Well, I guess board governance would dictate that really the board of directors has one employee, and that is the CEO. Got it. As to hiring practice. Some organizations that I've been on as a director, as chair, non-for-profits and otherwise that aren't necessarily real estate specific, some of the organizations have a hiring practice where key people in the organization, so uh, head of finance, VP, CEO, those people would be hired with a selection committee that would also encompass directors. Uh, Other organizations say, no, the only guy that gets hired or girl is the uh, CEO, and then they answer to the board. And if the board is not happy with what's going on at any level of the board, they would then tap the CEO on the shoulder and say, all right, you need to take care of this. And uh, the CEO basically lives or dies by the performance of the board as a whole. Uh, I mean, I could go into more detail as to policy governance versus a working board, uh, you know, the Carver Carver model, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure that will lose a lot of your audience. Okay, for the sake of the conversation, let's just dip our toes a little bit into some of the nitty gritty. Why do we, did we just adopt this model that we run with many, many years ago? Or is this the only model to run with? Specifically, the fact that, you know, we hire, the board just hires at the CEO and then the CEO runs everything. Is there other models that other boards go with? And can you speak to that a little bit? Great question. 
a lot of the boards, particularly in organized real estate, will hire consultants to help them implement best practices. Those consultants are typically hired by the CEO because most volunteers on the board of directors don't have these connections as to, you know, who's a good policy governance person, who's a person to structure this or that aspect of the board. Well, just to be to be clear, the board of governors or the board of, of directors is a bunch of realtors, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, okay. so they're practicing realtors. We make our living by going out there leasing and selling properties. Yeah. Uh, we we don't have the time to build those networks. After a while in the business, you start to get to know some of these people. But what happens is a lot of these people, because they're hired by the board staff, board staff likes to have some control without people coming in, people like you and I that are volunteers mm-hmm. coming out of nowhere with crazy ideas and rocking the boat. Right. So board governance over the years has migrated towards a carver model, which is basically don't get too far into the weeds, just give an overall vision of what you want the board to do, and then let the uh, staff implement that vision. Not all bad, not all good. For me, I prefer a governance model that is a bit more hands-on, not all the way into a working board, but where you've got directors on the various committees, you've got directors that are asking some of the questions that get beyond the 20,000 foot level. And what that also does, as far as I'm concerned, is it creates more engagement from a membership level. Mm -hmm. Uh, You talked about the turnout at our AGM last time around. Uh, if, If we take COVID out of the picture and we go back to when we had our physical meetings, it wasn't rare for us to get 400 plus people turning out at the AGM. If you look at some of the, well, the bigger board in the province, being Vancouver board, I think they're sitting at about 14,000 members now or something like that. Yep. They used to get, and I don't know what it is recently, but back when we were getting 400, they'd get 100 or 150. Why? But they were doing stuff virtually, were they not? Like pre-COVID? They were doing a lot of online stuff. And on again, you've got these two-edged swords. None of these decisions are easy. Do you want policy governance? Do you want working board? Do you want live meetings? Do you want virtual meetings? With virtual meetings, it's easy to log on, cast your vote, walk away, um, depending on how it's structured. With live meetings, you have the discussion, somebody stands up, argues for it, somebody stands up, challenges that idea and argues against it. And hopefully, if you can try to get yourself to be open-minded, which truthfully for me is a challenge at times, (laughs) sometimes your decision will change because somebody has shed a different perspective on an issue. And you show up and you're saying, you know what, I'm glad I showed up. 90% of what I voted, I would have voted the same had I not shown up. But that one or two questions where I changed my perspective made this day worthwhile. Interesting. So we have, you've used the terminology, the Carver model. That's what we we run with, correct? Not a full Carver. Um, It's kind of a spectrum where you can be totally hands-on, like the PTA where everybody's baking cookies and you know, running car washes and that kind of thing. And it's fully the board doing all the activity. And then the opposite end would be like a Carver model where the board really just looks at the vision and doesn't get involved at all at the committee level or anything like that. We're a hybrid, so we're closer to the Carver end of it, but we still have some involvement with the directors on various aspects. And I haven't been on the board in a long time, but I, what I'm seeing right now is it looks like it's going to a higher and higher level 
as time goes on, as opposed to a lower down, more engaged, more involved structure. I I would agree, albeit like self-admittedly, I have limited, uh, I, I mean, I haven't been involved in 18 years, but I can say that my outside perception here is that we're, we are more run by the CEO and CFO and people with titles than we are by the directors than I've ever seen in my time. And you would agree, would you would, agree. You would agree yeah. with that. Yeah, That's my perspective as well. So then when a position comes up to fill, um, you're saying other than the CEO, so if, if, if the CEO quits tomorrow, the board is all hands on deck and they're finding a CEO. But if right. uh, any other position comes up right now, the CEO is essentially running the board like it's a private company and that individual is filling that position. I, I can't say that for sure. They may have, um, like Rick Wood used to be the number two guy at the board. Yeah. His replacement, I don't know whether that was strictly a CEO appointment, uh, whether Baldev made that decision or whether the board had some involvement in that search committee. So, so they may have done something at that level, but you'd have to ask uh, Charles or one of the other guys that was uh, I guess Charles wasn't around either at that point, but whoever was around at that point. Well, I think it's safe to say that nearly no human in the world, and probably no human in the world, operates in a complete vacuum. So, you know, it's not as though, you know, whether or not the, the CEO at that time relied on the board is one question, but even if they didn't rely on the board, we all go to people in our life with significant decisions for advice. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I find it hard to believe that any human would make any decision uh, as completely as an island. They're leaning on somebody for advice and guidance with a significant decision like that. There was an orange-haired guy south of the border that I think at times made decisions without thinking about other people. Uh, well, perhaps not thinking about other people, but I even have a hard time believing that the orange-haired man didn't have somebody in his ear guiding him in his decisions. That that's the point I'm trying to make. I, I think that it's rare for anybody to make a significant decision without somebody influencing them. I would hope so. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, okay, this is very interesting. I'm I'm really enjoying this so far. I want to flip a little bit to fees. Mm -hmm. Break. You probably know this better than I do, so I don't want to try to lay it all out. You, you're going to know it like the back of your hand, but just give the quick high level on how an agent today pays fees into the real estate board? Okay. Honestly, one of the big things I've tried to do, this is my caveat up front here because uh, I don't have all the hard numbers, but when I leave a board, I try to step away as much as I can. So I'm not the guy that doesn't know when he's done. But as a guy in the membership, like you are, one of the things that Fraser Valley has, and we actually made this change the year I was the uh, chair, we used to have a structure where the fees were completely covered by membership dues and success fees. Yes. And there was no listing fee at the time. Back in 2009, the market took a really rapid turn downwards. So we had a ton of listings. That cost money to maintain. And no sales. And no sales. Relatively speaking. All the price changes, all the extensions, all that kind of stuff takes manpower to process. So we had all the we had expenses going up while revenues were coming down. So we made the change at the AGM. As finance chair, I got to stand in front of the membership and pitch this. <laughs> uh, which, I do remember that, by the way. I didn't go oh. to a lot of meetings, but I remember that one. <laughs> I got to tell you, when you're standing in front of the mic and people are peppering you with questions, oh yeah, your heart's pounding. I even had a guy that was on our finance committee who all of a sudden walks up to the mic and, and turned starts on you, throwing grenades, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyhow, now the structure is that you do have a membership fee. Which, if you're doing a fair amount of business, that's probably the smallest piece of your yeah. How does remind me how that comes off? Ballpark that for me. What's that? I don't even want to guess, but you, you'll you'll get a membership fee from Fraser Valley Board. You'll get a membership fee for 
BCREA, you'll get a membership fee for CREA, yep. uh, and then uh, ENO, mm-hmm. but you will not get a fee for the Real Estate Compensation Fund Corporation, which ensures the deposits on behalf of your clients. You can thank me for that because I was chair when we got rid of that. <laughs> silent applause. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it was silent because that was the same month council announced that they were doubling their fees. So nobody noticed the reduction. Anyhow, so your fees at Fraser Valley, you've got a listing fee and then you've got a success fee and a membership fee. Yes. On top of that, you've got an education fee, I guess, for every course that you take. But really, education is pretty much run at a, at a break even for the board. Makes sense. You, we were innocent. We were in an environment where you could list a home for free. The world implodes. Two thousand eight, two thousand nine. We go. This doesn't work. Now you got to pay to list a home. So, is there a speak to your opinion of the pros and cons of these two of these two opposite opinions? Because I I hear rumblings that people actually. I think it was at this AGM. I heard some guy get up and say like, you know, part of his platform that he wanted to get nominated on was to eliminate the listing fee. And I can tell you that when I hear that, I think that's the dumbest idea in the world. Admittedly, I've probably not given a ton of thought to this other than the fact that I think it's ridiculous that you can put a home up for sale on our system for nothing with no level of accountability. Does that, can you speak to that and let me know how you think about that? Yeah, I I fully agree. To me, this industry is the ultimate, ultimate opportunity for somebody that believes in free enterprise. Uh, I, I used to own a camera store and photo lab. So I had to go out there and buy all of the hardware so I could sell it and compete with London Drugs. If you're in this market, you can sell my product. You can sell the competition's product and it doesn't cost you a dime to have that inventory. So the MLS, to me, is the ultimate equalizer. Most of my business is commercial, but I still am just a, a rabid fan of the MLS. I can post a $15 million property on the MLS, and I can have somebody in the office, somebody across the province seeing that listing and bringing a buyer, which makes us both look great. So that whole concept. I I think on the residential side, you've got about 85% of the transactions go through the MLS in our market area, probably even higher. I think it's, I actually think it's like 93 or 94% of residential. Overall, when you factor in commercial, it drops. Right. But of residential, it's actually into the 90s. Which, Which is fantastic. It's amazing. Absolutely. We, we've got one place where we know the cons, the consumer goes to one spot. Yeah. And and anybody that complains about Realtor.ca, it is the best value in the industry. Yeah. The exposure you get with that in the U.S., you have to pay to have your product on Realtor.com. In Canada, it's part of your Korea dues. And in the U.S., they don't have a, an MLS system that everybody goes to. They've got a fractured MLS yeah. system. And then so getting your properties in front of the eyes of all the consumers is a completely different conversation. And in most areas, it's far more expensive to practice as a realtor out there than it is here. Okay, so then what do we do with this conversation of listing fee versus success fee? In your mind, what's the, what's the right way to go? I, I think in my, my own, uh, whatever, the way I think about life and business, I, I don't understand why we're not front-end loading the, loading the fees. Like To me, a success fee makes no sense. Why not charge all the fees up front? And you raise the accountability and you raise the bar for people who are bringing inventory to the marketplace. Does that not make sense? Yeah. I, I, you know, I guess I've, I haven't really spent a lot of time recently trying to figure out which way to go. I like the idea of having both. It makes it a little easier for uh, some people to manage their finances if part of the expense is up front and processing a sale does take more resources than processing an expiry. You mean like from a from an administrative level at the board? Yeah. Yeah. So right. if, so if you put the listing on and it expires, maybe it shouldn't cost you quite as much as if you put the listing on and it sells. 
I certainly don't want to see any disincentives for people to list a property on the MLS. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks isn't the reason you didn't give your clients the exposure that MLS gives you. If if that's the reason you didn't put it on the MLS, maybe this isn't the industry for you. Yeah, like that that argument just to me it it doesn't sit well because you know in the in the years that I've been in the industry, and I mean you can go you can go back longer than me you look at the potential income that an average agent can make in this industry. And I'm not even saying all-star, I'm just saying average. It it seems totally asinine to bring up a couple hundred dollar fee when you can potentially be making, you know, in excess of 15, 20, $25,000. Should you actually sell the property? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it just, I, I, I have no time for that argument. And I think that is, that comes out of, you know, to, to your point, it comes maybe out of a pers- perspective that somebody isn't wanting to run their sales career like a true business. And I think we need less of that in the industry, not more of that. I agree. Hey, let, let me ask you this. How many ends did the average realtor do in the Fraser Rally board last year? Well, I know the bottom threshold of medallion last year was, I think, right around 20 or just over 20. And that would mm-hmm. be like, if we went to the bottom, we're talking about, you know, that would be like the 400 or so agent because of the team count, right? So right. Uh, I'm, I would guess the average has got to be well below 10. I know that in Canada, the average, I think, is around five. So yeah, we're probably at, I don't know, eight or nine. Would that make sense? The if you take the membership, divide that into number of transactions at Fraser Valley last year, you're going to come up with just a hair above five. Okay, so we're about the national average. But if you take that number and you pull out the medallion numbers, yeah, we used to hear this adage that twenty percent of the realtors are doing eighty percent of the sales. I actually crunched the numbers uh, a number of years ago because I'm doing a course for BCREA aimed at rookie realtors, the av- uh, 10% of the realtors are doing 90% of the transactions. Right. And Medallion is, what's Medallion? Top 10 or top 20? I even forget. Uh, I think it's the top 10. It's top 10. Yeah. So it is, yeah. it's, it's the top 10 are doing 90% of the business. Right. So, so with what's left, if you take the average, I bet you it's down at two. Like wow. Our industry has a miserable average income. Our industry has a miserable success rate. I think in five years, two out of five realtors that sign up to be in the business are still left in the business. The, the average income for realtors in Canada is probably down around 40 grand. So let's go into then. Uh, let, let me let me take you into uh, into into shark infested territory with the next question. <laughs> Why do we have a governance model where the ten percent are not making all the decisions? If that is factual, like the ten percent are driving all of the revenue or the majority of the revenue, and not only that. They're actually influencing ninety percent of the public. So why do we have a governance model where they don't make the decisions? Uh, you're right about the shark. You know, <laughs> this is why I got you because I knew you'd answer the question. I think part of it is to blame uh, is the blame of the ten percent. I mean, if this was private sector, who'd you be going to? Who's your client? Well, it's the ten percent. Well, if, if it was pri- yeah, private sector, the ninety wouldn't even get a say. Right. But in this case, it's a membership-based organization. So everybody has equal vote. Just like in Canada, it doesn't matter how rich, how poor, how many properties you own. You're a Canadian citizen, you get one vote. And that's the same way as it works at the Fraser Valley Board. Now, I do think a wise man once told me, in the absence of value, price becomes the issue. I think you know that wise man. and. And that's always resonated with me. I mean, mm-hmm. Ray's absolutely right. In the absence of value, price becomes the issue. Mm-hmm. So rather than looking at the governance structure, to me, 
if we're not getting value, like I, I don't get bogged down with how much my listing fee is or how much my selling fee is. What gets my ire is the absence of value. Sure. Uh, I mean, web forms. How many of us are happy with how web forms is performing? Not a single, not a single person. How many of us are happy with how the uh, interface is working on your iPad when you're logging in and you want to look at listings? It doesn't work. <laughs> I, don't use, I don't use Apple products, but I've been told it doesn't work. When, when I grab my iPad and I want to look up a listing, it's horrible. When I want to look it up on my phone, it's horrible. It, we're in 2021. Are you kidding me? We can't get technology to do better? If you look at the Fraser Valley board, we used to punch above our weight class by a mile. The HPI, that came out of the Fraser Valley board. We worked together with a guy out of UBC, and then Vancouver board joined us, and we worked on that together. RealtorLink, web forms came out of Fraser Valley. Mm-hmm. All kinds of stuff like that. You look at Kamloops right now, tiny little board. But Trevor and his IT guy figured out a way that on all sales, the buyer has to enter, uh, the selling agent has to, in, has to enter in the buyer's postal code. Not overly taxing, right? We can do that. Yeah, interesting. But what they can do with that data now they can create a heat map to see where buyers are coming from for different product types. That's amazing. They're doing that in Kamloops? Wouldn't that be killer if you're working with a developer? Yeah. Oh my goodness. That would be valuable information. Yeah. Because without that, everything is speculation. And you can say it's like accurate speculation, but right now that would be very valuable in this marketplace. Totally anecdotal, right? From our end. I remember when I was president, uh, Global TV would call me and say, hey, how's the market? Yeah. So then I'm telling him, well, this is what I'm seeing. Well, I'm a guy working out of Abbotsford, primarily the East End in a certain snack bracket within that market area. So what I said to our media people, I need better data. So that's when we created the president's poll, that little survey monkey poll that you get. Yeah. Where are the buyers coming from? Are they first time buyers? Are they move up buyers? What are you seeing at open houses? That kind of stuff. Because I wanted to be able to give my client in that situation, being the media, better answers than something that was specific to me. If we had that little program that Kamloops has, that would be fantastic. That helps you with your advertising. That helps you if you're working with a developer. That helps you with all kinds of product knowledge and equips you to impress your clients. Why don't we have it? That's very good. When are you when are you run when are you doing your second term as president? When are you doing this? Well, if you uh, go to some of the uh, suggestions, by the way, I'm not running for another term as president. <laughs> but but I will point out that one of the motions that came to the board this year that thankfully was shut down is can you recycle a president? Right. So in other words, can you come back? Yeah. And to me, Voting that down is just part of this whole litany of changes that creates more of a buffer from disruption of people that are not thinking the way board leadership is thinking. Right. And to me, every now and then, you need to throw a Moss Maloney into the room. Every now and then, you need somebody to come in there, shake it up, look under the carpet, look in the drawers and see what's going on. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Yeah, it's very uncomfortable process for the, for the folks that live there, but, but you're saying for accountability reasons, it's important. Yeah, I, I think we need that at Remax. I mean, Remax yeah. used to be the shit disturbers. Remax <laughs> no. used to rock the boat in the industry. Yeah. I think we've become a little complacent. I think it'd be okay for somebody to go to Denver and shake things up a little bit. Totally. Yeah. Maybe that's you. Well, now you're now you're talking about my job, Paul. That's what I'm doing. There's your shark. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. I uh I like it. Okay, let's uh I'm going to switch to another thing. Professional standards and fines. Yeah. So, again, the caveat, I don't have a lot of the data, but but 
I, but I, here's what we hear to use that word anecdotally. You know, we hear that, um, you know, agents are bad people, you know, whatever we hear the negative stories in the media. And of course that's not true. That's the, it's the one bad apple or it's the 1%. But I will say that I, on a reg, you know, semi-regular basis experience a scenario with another licensed agent where I go, that guy should either not have a license or that person needs some discipline and education. So yeah. uh, it's definitely there. Like we can't act like it's not there. And then interestingly enough, if you look, paid attention to the financials of 2020, you know, in our COVID year, our fine, our revenue from fines was way down from projections, which I didn't bring up, but I thought was, was a bit of a joke because we did a ton of business in the last six months of the year. And clearly we weren't, you know, penalizing people and handing out fines while we were doing a ton of business. So that's maybe a separate conversation, but what are, what needs to be, what can be improved uh, in the professional standards and fines conversation? I mentioned earlier that I spent some time on the business practices committee. And I can tell you that everyone I've talked to that has spent time on the business practices committee will tell you that at some point they say, wow, there, but for the grace of God, go I. Hmm. That stuff comes through where you're saying, oh, crap, I've done that. Right. Now, I'm not talking the big egregious stuff, but I would say that a lot of the files that come to business practices are not jerks in the industry intentionally trying to fleece somebody. Right. They're honest mistakes. But if you take it to the guys that are doing nasty stuff, We've got some significant fines, but really the bigger piece is a suspension. If you think about the impact, so you get a $10,000 fine because you did something really bad and now you get a 30-day suspension and you have to take a couple of classes, maybe even horribly, you have to take one of the Paul Penner classes. (laughs) Well, those ones are pretty fun. I've been in one of those. (laughs) But if if you... People underestimate the impact of that suspension. It's not just go to Hawaii. You have to cease to exist for the duration of that suspension. That means all of your advertising, if you have a bus bench, that disappears. If you have a website, that disappears. If you're in social media and you have any mention of you being a realtor, that has to disappear. Mm -hmm. If you belong to any organizations where you're listed, like I belong to the Chamber of Commerce, I would have to get rid of my Chamber of Commerce listing as being a realtor. Mm-hmm. Like it can take you a month to just realize all the places you've put yourself in where you're labeled as a realtor. You yeah. have to get rid of all of that. So you're saying that is the more penile, like that is where you get people by the short and curlies, not in the pocketbook. Yeah. And and you have to tell your clients, oh, by the way, right? You If you've got a listing, you can't just hand it over to somebody in the office without notifying your seller, oh, by the way, I'm not going to be on the listing anymore. Yeah. Why not? Or somebody calls your office. They don't just take a message and you get to call them back and say, oh, by the way, um, I'm going to be out of town for this week. Maybe talk to Andrew and uh, we'll regroup when I'm back. Like you no longer exist as a realtor. And the consequence of that. So the embarrassment and the pain is way more than a fine. Yeah. And, and nowadays with this digital era, if, if your infraction was bad enough, it gets published and it stays for a long, long time. Yeah. If somebody Googles your name, they can find that out. If they punch your name into counsel's search engine, they can find out what you've been charged or what infractions you've been uh, convicted of, for lack of a better word. But we're not, when I look at other uh, self-governed industries, in the comparisons I've done, I don't think we're particularly lenient. No. Like, like I, you know... We, we, I think we get a bad rap because of the way real estate booms on the West Coast here and it's easy to look at. But other industries, are it's not like they're leading the way, kicking the crap out of their own members in, in ways that we're not. We get a bad rap. I, I think the, the biggest mistake organized real estate made 
is when Christy Clark threw us under the bus. Totally. We should have stood up and set the record straight because they said we did not do a good job as being self-regulated as an industry. Yeah. Well, back then, first of all, government always had a right to step in if they didn't like our rulings. So they looked at five of the rulings the entire time. They looked at five rulings and said, hmm, we're going to review these. Three of those rulings, they left the same. Two of them, they lowered the penalty. Not once did government step in and come down with a hammer heavier than ours. So why are you disbanding self-regulating status when you're saying we did nothing wrong when you reviewed it in the past? Like, give me a break. Yeah. So that is an interesting segue to the other thing I want to discuss, which was amalgamation, because I, <laughs> I felt like in that moment that the reason we couldn't slap Christy was because we weren't one board. We were fragmented. But I know this is a hot topic. And I think you, correct me if I'm wrong, you weren't pro-amalgamation or are you? I, I forget who was where on what side of the argument. No, I, I was... Um pretty vocal in my opposition to amalgamation. Yeah, you were opposed to it. And I've never actually had this conversation with you. But my own thought when Christy was, you know, kicking us in the ass in front of the, the, the media was that had we been one board, we would have had the continuity to smack her and file a lawsuit or do something, right? But we didn't. So what are your, how do you feel about the amalgamation conversation now? Well, I think the the point you're bringing up, that was BCREA's role. Sure. And you could say we are united under BCREA, no matter how many right. boards we are. Yeah. That's our provincial flag. They should have been stepping up. I think if we would have been together with Vancouver on that, well, if you look at the guys that were heading the front page because of their unsavory practices, there were actually practitioners out of their Vancouver board. They weren't our guys. Yeah. You mean the whole shadow flipping conversation? Yeah, exactly. And and that was illegal back then, just like it's illegal now. Nothing's changed. It's just Christie was trying to deflect because they weren't enforcing stuff. Um, but if you go to the bigger picture of the amalgamation, I love the Vancouver board. I do a lot of teaching for the Vancouver board. They've got some great staff and some great members. But I also love our board. And I think our board serves our members better. If you take Chilliwack, for example, yeah. Steve Lorraine, the, the CEO of the Chilliwack board, was getting too many complaints from his members saying, we've got all these guys that don't have lockbox keys. Right. It's ridiculous. Why do they get to show our listings if they don't have lockbox keys? So then Steve said, okay, we're going to make it mandatory for all of our members to have a lockbox key. That's what they did in Chilliwack. So they did that in Chilliwack. Okay. Then we looked at that and some of our members said, well, if they can do it, why can't we do it? Mm -hmm. So, okay, eventually Fraser Valley implemented that. Vancouver hasn't implemented that yet. Because a lot of their practitioners are saying, well, we don't use lockbox keys. Yeah, so I understand. Like that, to me, the lockbox key thing is a conversation of, you know, an urban city core versus a suburban city neighborhood. Like yep. I, if you, you know, if you live and work in Yale Town and, and you know, whatever, everything's a strata condo and th there's security... Whatever. You can argue that both sides of the fence, but bottom line is, is it's less common, even in Abbotsford, Langley, or Surrey, to use a lockbox if you're selling a condo. And if you're in a market where 99% of the product is condo buildings, lockbox keys and center key is less useful than it is somewhere else. But that to exactly. me is that to me is not a converse like that's separate from the amalgamation conversation. And that certainly shouldn't be something that separates us. What, what that tells me is that each board can cater to the needs of their membership. In our board, I think it makes sense to make lockbox keys mandatory. Sure. If we were part of the Vancouver board, most of the members are in, a, like you said, a far more urban setting. 
And to them, it doesn't make as much sense. So then do you adjust policies for a board that is more urban centric rather than taking into account the different nuances of being in a more rural setting like we are? Hmm. And and would we get lost in a big machine that is more urban centric? So you're yeah, but so now where does but now where does BCREA stand? Like what's BCREA's role today versus what it was five years ago? Uh, wow, that's that is a long conversation. But BCREA is uh, has been weakened, and in my opinion, too many boards want to take over the role that belongs with BCREA, and I think we need to fund BCREA better so that they can do a better job of championing on our behalf at a provincial level. Right. And that is, and your your point of like, that is the way that we can all be one voice through BCREA. Exactly. Maintain our individualism in the board level, but BCREA is how we smack the Christie Clarks of the world. Yeah. I mean, the, the board's mission, and I don't know, I, I don't remember it specifically, but it's something to the effect of empowering its members to do a great job as realtors. So to me, that covers two pieces. That's equipping us with the right technology mm-hmm. and data, et cetera, et cetera. And number two, protecting our public image. So that's business practices. Hmm. So get rid of the guys that make us look bad, or at least slap them around until they stop making us look bad. And the rest of us that want to do a good job, give us the tools to do a good job. Mm -hmm. But we're spending so much time on amalgamation, on reviewing amalgamation, on this, all this other garbage when, and then we're losing sight of is WebForms doing a good job? Is the MLS doing a good job? Do we like the technology that we have? Can we improve the technology that we have? Like focus on your mission. Focus on what helps us to do our job as a realtor. Good. I knew I wasn't going to regret having you on, Paul. You got so much good (laughs) stuff to say. Okay. I'm mindful of your time. I want to do one more thing briefly, if that's okay, and then I'll let you go. Sure. Um, Do you have a few more minutes? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Perfect. So if you put your, uh, you're, you're the, you're now the owner of Remax Little Oak and... Hang on, my heart just fluttered for a bit. <laughs> Scary thought. Ah, it's more fun than you think. <laughs> the, so, I think about this. Like, so I grew up under the lineage of, like, I've watched. So, you've been president. Suk's been president. Charles has been president. David's been president. Paul Coig. Paul Coig's been pre- Yeah, there's other guys that aren't in our brokerage that are that that are. But you know. Jim McCoggan, like, you know, these are all... No, but Paul Paul used to be a REMAX guy too, REMAX little old guy. You're right. Years ago, you're right. Paul was. So, like, and then we've had other people within our brokerage over the last 20 years serve in other capacities as well. I look at us now, and I think, you know, there's a bit of a change in the guard going on in the industry. You know, like, you got the, the baby boomers or that type generation, like, they've done their servanthood and they're kind of on the, on the back half of their of their run. And now we've got, you know, I, I'm Gen X, but, you know, Gen X and the, and the millennials coming through. And I think that one of the things that's made our office amazing in the last 20 years was actually the level of engagement. And so what do you say now to, um, you know, the under 40 crowd in Remax Alok in terms of what they should care about and what they should be getting involved in? And how do I help facilitate that? I think you're absolutely right. The changes that are coming are going to be amazing. Like I look back to when I started, and I I feel like the old guy now. Um, (laughs) Well, you are the old guy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm 55. I started at 19. Just about my whole career, I've been the young one of the young guys. Yeah. But but now I'm at the other end, and I look back to how far things have progressed. Mm-hmm. That was their pre-catalogs. We had little dat, dot matrix printouts that would come out every morning, that care sheets that we would use to see what was going on. And then 
update our catalogs with that. Uh, or, or sorry, not pre-catalog, but that's how we updated our catalog. Right. And then we had the computer system, so we could look at it on FRED, the old Fraser Valley Real Estate Data System. Then we got rid of the catalogs, and guys like Dirk Clausen just freaked out on us because how can we ever do real estate again without <laughs> those catalogs? Well, Dirk made a lot of money with those catalogs, so I understand him yeah, freaking absolutely. out. Absolutely, <laughs> and and. Dirk, uh, I think everybody in the office should have a two-hour session with Dirk on how to make cold calls because that is still the best way to make money in this business. But anyhow, the changes going forward, I have no idea what they're going to be. But there's so much data out there. When we go, when the consumer goes on to realtor.ca, they should be able to figure out what's the garbage collection cycle, what are you know, what are the school catchment areas? All of that kind of stuff should be available with the listing mm-hmm. and, and all kinds of other stuff. But I think for a young member of the industry, volunteer at any level of organized real estate and help shape it into something that we can't even imagine right now. Mm-hmm. From, from your end at REMAX Little Oak, help these people to take that step and uh, you know you can edit this out but maybe even give them a discount on the fees or whatever because i think they're doing a service for all of us mm-hmm. if they volunteer I, and i'll put get in crucified if i board. edit that out so we can't edit that out paul <laughs> <laughs> but but i i just think whatever you can do whatever i can do to encourage somebody to step out and volunteer in organized real estate yeah that's how we make this thing better for the next group. No, I think you're bang on. I mean, it's probably not going to impact me that much. Uh, at 55, I probably got another 80, eh, yeah, maybe another 20 years left in me, and then I'm going to be looking for a pastor. But, you know, drag us along. If we're saying this changes too fast, drag us along like I did when I was one of the younger realtors. Make the changes. Let's go forward. Yeah. Dude, that was awesome. First of all, 55 is the new 40, so you're not that old. There you and, go. And uh, your uh, wisdom and opinion is, I, I mean, I've always incredibly valued it, and I appreciate you uh, you coming on and doing this. I think, I think that this is a very important conversation, and I don't take what you said lightly, and I'm going to do whatever I can to, uh, to you know, get – all Little Oak agents as engaged as possible in our board moving forward. Andrew, if you need a ride to the next AGM, I'll even give you a ride. <laughs> I appreciate We We might even stop for a coffee on the way over. Amazing. Well, hopefully hopefully we'll get one that's in person because uh, I'm getting tired yeah. of the Zoom crap. Ditto that. Okay. Thanks, buddy. Have a great day and uh, hope to see you again soon. Talk to you. Thanks, Andrew. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That was Paul Penner. I don't know if I need to say anything here. He's a sweet dude. He's got a lot of great opinions. He has served at every level and uh, to be continued, this conversation's not over. Hope you guys enjoyed it and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.